0: You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is going to be a fun one. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to daily podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton, and I have a lot to talk about today because there are a lot of things that are really standing out to me right now, and I would say two things in particular that I somewhat hit my breaking point last night on. Not both Marlins related, but somewhat Marlins related because it affects the fish, and then of course, I have to open up with Isan Diaz, who I'm going to talk about. I was going back and forth, I'm like, do I even just beat this dead horse or not? But I don't even think it's beating a dead horse as long as he's on on the roster. So I am going to just give one more little monologue on Isan Diaz. I'm going to talk a little bit about MLB's embarrassing excuse for a replay system. And then finally, talk about yesterday's ball game where the Marlins dropped one to the Rockies. I know the Marlins needed to sweep this. I said that. I did also say that I think game two was going to be the tough one to win, and it was exactly that. Braxton Garrett was shaky, and it does not look like a big league arm. Austin Gomber, a local South Florida guy, came back. He graduated from FAU, came back and dealt. And Gomber's probably their second best arm. He's definitely the Rockies' second best arm away from Coors, because John Gray cannot pitch away from Coors, and Marquez is actually a really talented pitcher, but still the Marlins should not have been kept in check like that from Gomber. That but that was the one game that they could understandably lose. You shouldn't lose one to the Rockies when you're hosting them because that was just their fifth win in 27 games or 28 games on the road, so that's embarrassing for the Marlins, but that was the one game where it was slightly justifiable. They have to bounce back and win game three with Trevor Rogers on the bump against Chi Chi Gonzalez, who averages, I think it's 4.4 strikeouts per nine, which is just outrageously low. But anyways, where else could I start other than Isan Diaz, who is fortunately, as I record this at 5 p.m., two hours ahead of first pitch, he is not in the Marlins lineup. And I don't think that comes as a surprise, but honestly, I am always expecting him to be in the lineup just because it seems like the Marlins just don't want to, one, move on from him, and two, put him in the lineup more than they should. I mean, he's absolutely terrible. And the thing is, is it's one thing to not be good, but it's also another thing to not be good give low effort, and also just be an airhead out on the bases. Isan Diaz is all of those things. All of those things. He's like Jonathan VR except less talented. It's been ridiculous to watch this guy play baseball. On the offensive side of things, at the plate, he's blatantly overmatched. It's just clear that he is a guy playing against major leaguers who isn't a major leaguer. He's just not. The bat speed does not play. He has sub-Major League bat speed. It's just the reality of it. It's unfortunate, but he does not have enough bat speed to catch up two pitches at the Major League level. What he has to do as a result is cheat. And if he's cheating for the fastball and he doesn't get the fastball, that's where you get the swings and misses. When he does pick up hits, when he does get those home runs on occasion, it's because he cheated for a fastball and he got it. That's going to happen every once in a while. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut. He gets those little blue hits on occasion as well. The swing isn't ugly. It's actually a pretty swing, but it doesn't matter because I could have the prettiest swing in the world. But if it's as slow as hell, then it doesn't matter. That's exactly the case with Isan Diaz, and that's why he's taking hacks 3-0. And I was infuriated the last couple of ball games when I saw Isan Diaz take 3-0 hacks because I'm like, dude, the best outcome nine times out of ten from you is to walk. It's rarely gonna be better than a walk from you. Don't swing, just take the next pitch and maybe the next one if it's not right down the middle. But then I thought about it and I realized this guy might think that the 3-0 pitch is the only pitch that he's really going to be able to hit because he can cheat fastball there and that's a pitch where he's most likely going to get the fastball. So if he's a guy that's always cheating for the fastball and is – in a 3-0 count, then that is the highest probability where you're going to cheat and be correct. So that's why we're probably seeing him do this. He never did it in the past. Now he's done it a handful of times. And I have no issue with certain players swinging 3-0. Starling Marte, have a field day. Jesus Aguilar, have a field day. Even Jazz Chisholm in the right spot, absolutely. Swing 3-0. But when it comes to a guy that can't really hit, take the pitch. But I also understand now that it's an indictment to the fact that he can't hit he can't catch up to anything and he's just praying for that 3-0 count because he knows it's the best bet he's gonna have at picking up a hit it worked out for him he swung 3-0 and he got a base hit it fell in front of the right fielder and he was on first base not for long because he gets backpicked by the catcher and again That is something that is inexcusable. It may happen once from time to time. Everybody has a little lapse. Not the first time that it's happened to Diaz. And Diaz isn't a base stealer. He's not a good runner. So what are you doing? Where are you leaning? What is going on there? for me, it's just quite obviously a lapse of focus and just a lack of effort. If you're not paying attention, if you're not locked in, a catcher picks up on that. They see you lazy on the base paths, not with any urgency to get back to the bag between pitches. They're going to snap throw over. It's exactly what happened and they are picking on him. And yeah, Jonathan VR got picked off a lot too and I can't believe I'm going to defend VR, but at least that guy's a base stealer. So he's leaning. He's looking to take a bag. That makes sense a little bit. It's still incredibly frustrating to see a guy get picked off as much as VR does, but when you're not even remotely a stolen base threat, why in the world are you leaning and getting backpicked? And then on top of that, we had a situation where it was an obvious hit and run because Corey Dickerson was on the move and Corey Dickerson's not going to steal in a 1-0 count and it was a fastball in the outer half. It was definitely off the plate, actually, excuse me. It was off the plate away. So that's not a pitch you generally want to swing at, but it's a hit and run. What does that mean, Isan Diaz, when it's a hit and run? It means you swing at anything remotely in the vicinity of the zone. What does Diaz do? He takes it. What happens? Dickerson gets hosed out at second base. Those are the types of mistakes that cost you a ball game, a one-run ball game, and that's what happened. The Marlins lost 4-3. Diaz made several mistakes in that game. But first of all, why is Don Mattingly putting on a hit and run with a dude that's hitting a buck 49 and has serious swing and miss issues, why in the world would that be the situation where you put on a hit and run? I just don't understand from the Mattingly standpoint why you're doing that, but if you are gonna put it on, Diaz, you need to swing. Even if you whiff there, you're keeping the catcher back, you're shielding his vision a little bit, and it's going to be a harder throw for him to make. Albeit, Diaz is really good back there, but still, I mean, you got to take a hack at that. I don't know if it was a miss sign. That would almost be better, but still whether he missed a sign, whether he just didn't pull the trigger in a hit and run because he thought the pitch was too far outside, and also why that was called in the first place from Don Mattingly, all of those are beyond me. But my last thoughts on Diaz, and I don't really want to have to talk about it again because hopefully he won't be on the team anymore, is I don't like to beat up on guys that aren't playing well. I will tell it like it is. I'll say who's doing well. I'll say who's not doing well, and we'll talk about the numbers and see what they can do to improve or whether the Marlins need to look to move on from those guys. That's just what it is. And that's what I'm supposed to do. But when it comes to a guy like Isan Diaz, who does not put a lot of effort in, makes mental mistake after mental mistake, posts cryptic messages when he doesn't get the second base job and loses it to Jazz Chisholm after he hit 051 or whatever the hell he hit in spring training and Jazz was on fire, then gets the opportunity to come to the big leagues, still looks like the same guy with the same amount of effort and the same mental mistakes I'm sorry, but that's not a guy that I'm going to hold back on. That's a guy that bothers me, pains me to watch. He's living everybody's dream. He's living a kid's dream, and it just does not seem like he is really trying to make it happen out there at all. And maybe he's not happy here. That's fine. But you better figure out a way to impress somebody, one of the 29 other teams, because I'll tell you what, he's going to get another chance because he's young and he put up some great numbers in certain small stints in the minor leagues, but still, he is not going to get very many major league chances if he continues to look like this. I know for a fact that Isan Diaz is not a guy that enjoys the weight room, and you can kind of see it in his game. He's very lethargic, not a lot of bat speed. Yes, he has that power that'll creep in, but that's more because of the way he swings, and because he's cheating out for fastballs. His exit velos are not impressive whatsoever. So when we talk about a guy like Diaz, who is low effort, low energy, and low production, Why are you keeping him around anymore at this point? I think you can legitimately make the case that Diaz is one of the worst players in Major League Baseball. When it comes to just all aspects, I really think that Isan Diaz is one of the worst players in Major League Baseball. So why not cut your ties there? I know the Marlins don't have much else. I understand that. But Jose Devers, I can promise you, is going to play harder. I can promise you, is going to make more contact. And I can also promise you, is going to play better defense. Why is that guy on the bench, especially when Devers needs to be getting at bats in triple A? If he's not starting nearly every ball game and he's not starting games in favor of Isan Diaz, that's even more of a joke because then Devers should just be in triple A. If you're gonna roll with Diaz, just leave Devers in triple A, let him get his at bats. He needs him. But if you really feel like you need Devers at the major league level, then make Diaz that bench guy almost every single game. That just should be how it is. And really, even I think that is generous for Diaz at this point. Yes, that was really harsh, but I don't really care anymore. I can't watch this guy play baseball for the Miami Marlins anymore, and I am waiting for the day where they cut ties. I just don't understand what else this team needs to see. He has pretty much checked every single box. If he was actively trying to get released, what else would he need to do? If Diaz was legitimately trying to get released on purpose, I don't really know how much different it would look. It really wouldn't look much different. You'd take away a couple hits sprinkled here and there, and that's it. That's it. But even when he gets the hits, we see these mistakes made on the base paths. The Marlins front office is doing the rest of the team a disservice by putting that guy in the lineup at all. He doesn't bring anything. Legitimately brings nothing, and the Marlins need to move on from him and go with any other option, any Free agent on the market. I don't really care. Jed Jericho's coaching in some summer collegiate league, the Major League Baseball, new summer collegiate league that was the Appalachian League, whatever. If I'm Kim Aang, I'm showing up to one of their practices and saying, Jed Jericho, you want to play third base? And I'd be trying to get him to come with me back to Miami. If it's not him, I don't care. Hell, I would rather have Logan Forsythe out there right now than Diaz, and I'm not kidding. So that is where I stand. That's the last I'm really going to go in-depth about this because I think most of us are on the same page, but it's just ridiculous, and I wanted to just kind of air this out. More of a therapy session for me, I guess. And I'm sorry if you're tired of hearing about Diaz, but as long as he's out on the field, he's going to be someone that has to be talked about because he's a liability, and I'm looking forward to the day where we don't see him in the lineup anymore for the Marlins. More on the other side of things and just general baseball, I'm going to talk a little bit about Braxton Garrett, Talk about the Marlins ball game as a whole and then a few of the games that they have ahead in just a moment. A reminder that this episode is brought to you by Stat Hero. Do you know that 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose? is it really that surprising the game is rigged against you you're playing against thousands of other lineups not to mention experts who have more tools and more time you don't stand a chance introducing stat hero it's the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and winning within reach here's how it works stat hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them it's you versus the house and head-to-head fantasy matchups you name your stakes Winner take all, you have the advantage. Stat Hero is showing you their lineups ahead of time. No one else does that. It's your best chance instead of some of these other DFS sites where you have people that are putting thousands of dollars into a contest, making 30 different lineups of every variation possible. Instead, you just get to go 1v1 against the house and see their lineup in advance. Go to stathero.com slash locked on to sign up for free right now, and you can get three times back on your first play. They're giving out 300% match. That's unheard of. Go to stathero.com slash locked on for the 300% match. That's stathero.com backslash locked on. Also brought to you by rockauto.com. Why pay 20, 30, or 50% more for the same auto parts from a chain store or a car dealership when you can just go to rockauto.com and use our easy-to-navigate website to find whatever car parts you need, any make or model. RockAuto.com is a family-owned business that's been serving auto parts customers online for over 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules to brake parts, tan lamps, motor oil, or even the new carpet. Whether you're a classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks. Best of all, RockAuto.com's prices are always reliably low and the same for the professionals and the do-it-yourselfers. Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and right locked on. And the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com Also brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Before next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news. Sign up for bonuses and contest information. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up and if you use the promo code LOCKEDON, that's one word, LOCKEDON, you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get in on the action. That's promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus. Ben Online, your online sportsbook experts. So let's talk a little bit about Braxton Garrett. And there was a good start before this start in AAA for Braxton G. And those are going to happen from time to time because he can mix up the three pitches. If he's spotting well in that start, he can get guys to kind of get themselves out and give you a decent outing. That's the good news when Braxton Garrett is on. The bad news is if he's slightly off, if the command is off and he is not really able to spot up quite perfectly, he's not going to do that well. I would say given how inconsistent and how erratic he was at times in that start, he actually had a good outcome. It was four innings, five hits, two earned runs three walks, three strikeouts. I think that's kind of the stat line that you can get used to on like the better side of things for Braxton Garrett. It's just unfortunate. The velo isn't great. He's still sitting 89, 90, which is just not going to get it done at the major league level unless you have elite spin or elite secondary stuff. The secondaries, not great. The slider was okay. He was able to get some lifts on the slider. That was about it. And that was the frustrating part is you saw him trying to be too careful at times. And it seemed like he was trying to be so careful that he was struggling to locate at all and that was the big problem for him. He only racked up a total of six whiffs, and the only pitch that racked up more than one whiff was the slider that had a total of three. He threw that fastball slider combination almost two-thirds of the time. It was 38% on the fastball, 34% on the slider, then just 12% on the changeup. So you know you're gonna get most likely one of those two pitches and the fastball, again, maxing out at 91 miles per hour and sitting more at 90. That was the exact average was 90 miles per hour. And the slider is a decent pitch. That's the only pitch that flashes a little bit above average for me. And that was the pitch that he got the three swings and misses on, but a called strike with percentage of just 25%. It just was not a great start from Garrett, but the fact that he was able to still keep it from imploding, that was probably more of a testament to the fact that he was facing the Rockies in a cavernous Marlins park rather than him battling out there, but he didn't walk everybody, and he was able to at least give the Marlins a chance with four innings and just a couple runs, but not really what you're hoping to see from Garrett, it looks like we kind of know what Braxton Garrett's going to be. He's not much different than Justin Nicolino, to be frank. Maybe a little bit better, but not much. And that's the scary thing about it. The Marlins probably can't even get much for Braxton Garrett at this point. You never know. There might be a team that might be willing to bet on him seeing a little bit of a jump in his velocity again. There's definitely teams that would take him as a third or fourth piece in a package because he still is a young left-handed pitcher that you hope will just kind of get more polished and at the very least maybe will end up as a bullpen arm where he can throw a bit harder. You're going to take a chance on a guy in his early 20s that's a southpaw that was a former first-round pick, but the Marlins again they are probably, every time they bring him up here and he does that, it's probably hurting the trade value a little bit. And there's a reason why the Marlins are keeping him down in AAA when they have an obvious need for starting pitching. To them, he's no better than Dan Castano, really. And if anything, I think the Marlins prefer, and I do as well, prefer Dan Castano. And he would be out there if he didn't tweak a muscle ahead of his last start where the Marlins had to last-minute go to Zach Thompson. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Marlins decide to do next time around because I don't think Braxton Garrett sees another start at the Major League level after that one. If he does, the Marlins are really... Uh, Playing with fire there because I thought it was really close. If he was facing a half-decent lineup, they could have put up a six spot on him pretty quickly, and it could have got out of hand pretty quickly. The Marlins, again, as I'm recording this, are getting ready to take on the Rockies for the final game of the series. They need to take two out of three there, and then they host the Braves for three at home. That's going to be tough. The Braves aren't playing their best baseball right now. They're flirting with 500 and just lost a heartbreaker where a two-run shot was hit when they were up by one with two outs and it was a guy's first career home run so that was pretty wild but the Marlins are going to need to bring their A game to beat The Braves, the good news is they'll have Sandy Alcantara going in one of those games and probably Pablo Lopez in one of the other games. Bad news is they're going to get Charlie Morton, who's been pretty solid, and they're going to get Max Fried, who's actually looked a lot better. Don't look at the overall numbers. Look at the numbers since he's come back from injury. He's been really solid. And we also know about Pablo Lopez's struggles against the Braves. They seem to be pretty comfortable against him, and they do hit right-handed pitchers and specifically change up heavy right-handed pitchers quite well will be interesting, and the Marlins are also going to have to figure out who they're going to throw in that middle game of the series because that's going to be one of the open slots in the rotation right now. But to talk about one of the other things that stood out to me in that loss to the Rockies, the Marlins did put together nine hits. They were hitting the ball pretty hard. John Birdie actually is hitting the ball a little bit harder again. Probably one of the hardest balls I've seen him hit all year, 104.4 miles per hour. He had two hard hit baseballs. Jazz Chisholm hit one 109 and Corey Dickerson actually hit 1104. 104. John Birdie has been really brutal, but over the last few games, he's hitting the ball a bit harder. That would be such a big boost to the Marlins for the obvious reasons that they could stop playing Diaz as much, get Birdie in the lineup more frequently. And that would be a huge boost. If he can get even close to what he's been the last couple years, right now he's hitting as many ground balls as anybody in baseball. And that's something that he's going to have to improve upon. And we'll see. If he can start doing that a bit more over the last couple of ball games, he has. But let's hope that it is a transition into something better. But I have been very discouraged from what we've seen from him so far this season. As for the bullpen, it was lights out. But the Marlins' bullpen always seems to be fantastic when they're behind, right? And then they're terrible in safe situations. And that kind of goes back to what I was talking about in the previous podcast is a low-budget bullpen that's talented, right? There's some talented guys in this bullpen that were low-floor, like low-risk high ceiling type of players like Anthony Bender, who's been great, but it doesn't mean Anthony Bender can be a closer tomorrow because he has doesn't have that experience in high leverage situations. It's a totally different animal and that's the issue with the Marlins right now. Bender is great when he comes in the 6th or 7th inning and the Marlins are down 2 or 3 and just goes right at dudes, but it's totally different when you are in a tie game or you're up one run and you know one pitch can change everything. One pitch could blow the lead. One pitch could lose you the game. You're not going to be attacking hitters with that same vigor that we see Anthony Bender and some of these other guys do in those middle inning situations or when the Marlins are ahead by a lot or trailing. It's totally different. And I still have loved what we've seen, though, from some of these other guys. The Marlins bullpen racked up a lot of strikeouts. It was nine strikeouts for them in, I believe, five innings, which is really impressive. Curtis struck out the side. He did give up two hits, but then got the three strikeouts. Adam Simber, was the one rocky, I would say, appearance out of everybody else. But then Anthony Bender comes in, strikes out the side. You had Anthony Bass come in. Did surrender one hit, but then punched out two. He's always good when it doesn't matter. And then Dylan Floro came in with a scoreless inning and struck a guy out. We're used to that. We're used to the Marlins bullpen being great in those situations, but I would almost like to see Anthony Bender experimented with in more high leverage situations. Let's just see what happens. I know they tried it once, but that was in a weird fluky kind of throw him into the fire type of thing. I want to see him in a more normal, traditional situation where you just put him in there in the eighth inning in a close game and see how he fares. The other thing I really wanted to talk about before we wrap up here is Major League Baseball's replay system or lack of a replay system. I am really just baffled at this point at what's going on with Major League Baseball's replay. And I'm not just saying this because it seems like every single play or bad call has come at the expense of the Miami Marlins, but it has seemed like the Marlins have been on the short end of the stick more often than not. And that's to put it lightly But the thing is here, and this is where it's just really confusing, especially yesterday. It's not really about whether the team I cover or the team I support is not getting all the calls. It's not really about that. What it is about is I have a picture on my cell phone, which I tweeted. I tweeted it out. You can go on my profile at eight and go check out the tweet that I had about the play at first with Jazz Chisholm. I don't blame an umpire for getting it wrong on the initial call. Sometimes it's hard. I know a lot of them like to go by the ear. Sometimes there's misleading sounds, whatever. That's why we have replay correct, right? That's why we go and replay it. The replay showed that the ball was not in the glove. And I'm looking at the picture right now on my phone. The ball is clearly not even in his glove. It's not even close. It's literally floating in, in the air, in the air. And jazz chisholm's foot is clear as day on first base. And I know that it has to be beyond a reasonable doubt, right? It has to be clear cut evidence that he is safe to overturn the out call on the field. But also, what is the one thing that they've always said? When is it officially a catch? The Umpiring Association or whatever the hell you call it has reiterated time and time again that a catch is completed when it hits the back of the glove. But this wasn't even one of those murky areas where it was in the glove and you can't really tell if it's in the back of the glove and it's just too hard to see. It was still floating in space. It was still in the air. It wasn't even in the glove yet. It was still outside of it. So here I am sitting in my living room on my $250 cheap TV because the flat screens are actually crazy cheap now and all albeit they have gotten really good even the cheap ones are very clear resolution and are great TVs TCL TV free advertising right there for you because guess what I have better TVs than the MLB control room clearly because for whatever reason when The umpire is called the MLB control room, if that even exists, and that's what I said in my tweet. I said, I'm convinced that this control room, this replay center, or whatever, when they had just like, oh, let's go to New York, like that's just the most ambiguous thing ever. Oh, we're going to go to New York. They put some headphones on, come back, and then they make the wrong call again. It's what's the point of having replay if you are literally going to guess just like you do in real time. But anyways, if I am able to see this and grab the most simple screenshot ever of a ball floating in the air in a foot on first base on my TCL TV in my living room in my tiny apartment, how the hell does MLB's replay center not clearly see what we saw, what I see, what's on Twitter right now? That is what blows my mind, right? What were they looking at? What did they see? What was not convincing enough about that? That's where I don't get it. And it's not like this is the first time. I had people replying to me with several other plays where it was just clear as day. It wasn't up for interpretation. It was clear as day. So what are they looking at? I'm convinced that the replay center or the control room or whatever it is, is just a social media intern sitting at a desk on the MLB TV app and some of the games, he can't even get the replay because it's blacked out and he just guesses and says, call stands. That's my best bet. That's all that I can come up with to justify these atrocious calls. And what I would love to see at this point is to have that XFL style of replay where I don't know if you watch the XFL. I wouldn't blame you if you didn't. It lasted like two months. But the XFL did one thing that was really, really cool. If there was a challenge, if there was a reviewed call on the field, they would show you the inside of the control room. They would show you what they were talking about and what they were deciphering, right? What is wrong with that? Why shouldn't we be able to know and have that transparency of what call they are making and why? You were able to see what replays they were looking at. You were able to see what their reasoning was, where they were unsure, why they could or couldn't make a certain call. Why wouldn't you do that? I feel like, one, that's good for the sport because it's cool, and it makes those replays that are sometimes just excruciatingly long a bit more entertaining, and two, it gives more explanation. You're going to have less infuriation when you have the fans kind of seeing why they made the reasoning and the process of that reasoning instead of, let's put these mysterious headphones on and then come back with some really angering, terrible call and just roll with it. That's where I just don't understand. Again, baseball is way behind. And look, replay is a complicated thing. I understand that. And is it always going to be right? Of course not. And sometimes things are just up to interpretation of rules. Sometimes there's a lot more moving parts. Michael Conforto's uh, elbow guard, the infamous elbow guard thing, where he sticks his elbow out, right? That's not reviewable. It should be reviewable, but there's nothing you can do about that because that's what the rules are. That I understand. Is it infuriating? Absolutely. But that's the rules. When you can look at a replay and still get it wrong, What's the point of the replay? We're doing all these things to speed up the pace of play by a microsecond as if that's going to make kids want to watch more when all of that shaved off time is erased the second you have a replay and then you're not gaining anything from the replay. It's not even helpful. It clearly is not helpful. So I don't even understand the point of it. You might as well just get rid of it and go back to just umpire error and just go with that because you still have umpire error in these replay calls. And that's that's it for my rant. That's all I wanted to say. But my goodness, man, how hard is it? How hard is it to figure it out? I just don't understand how it can be so difficult. But on the flip side of things, the Marlins are due to get a call that absolutely screws over the other team, and I'll be looking forward to that. When the umpires screw up a call so badly and it works in the Marlins' favor, That day's coming. I promise it's going to come and it's going to be really, really funny. And hopefully it happens in that Brave series coming up this weekend. Marlins take on the Rockies in game three. I would say probably the biggest must-win for them already this season because if they lose the game, there won't be another game that really matters that much to me. If you're losing two out of three to the Rockies at home when you had Pablo Lopez and Trevor Rogers go, then I think that would kind of be the beginning of the end after losing three out of four to the Pirates as well. Not to say that winning two out of three here is all of a sudden this turnaround and you're feeling great, but a win here definitely fends off a really, really dark time for the Marlins to lose five out of seven on a trip where you're playing the Pirates and the Rockies. That would be really rough. Not that one win makes a huge difference, but it does kind of save it from being the ultimate disaster. And if you win a couple, two out of three from the Braves this weekend, then you could start to see the tides turning. Final thing I'll say is Marlins. Please call up Jesus Sanchez for this brave series. It's a really important one. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.